You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome to the program. It's hour two on this Friday. Dan and the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show. Glad to have you on board. We have golf coming up this weekend. It's Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning, Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady. Now, this is what I was wondering. When they set these teams together, wouldn't you rather have Brady and Tiger versus Phil and Peyton? Because Tiger winning all these titles that Phil probably would have won a few of those if if Tiger wasn't around. Tom Brady winning all these titles and, you know, Peyton had to compete with Tom Brady. I'd rather have the underdogs here, if you want to call it that, of Peyton and Phil against Tiger and Tom. But I'm not sure if they did this by golf ability because I think Peyton is a little better golfer than Brady. But Brady hasn't played much golf. I don't. His handicap is probably close to a nine, maybe, and Peyton's probably around a six. And then you have Tiger, and then you have Phil, who will cancel each other out. But if I was going to do it, I would have the underdogs, so-called underdogs, Phil Mickelson, teamed up with Peyton to get back at Brady and Tiger in this made-for-TV event. Mickelson, on the Callaway Golf Podcast, talked about Tiger. He has the advantage, a home course advantage, but Phil is going to use that to his benefit. Well, to me, it's funny because we wanted to hold this at another site, but Tiger insisted that we go to his home course, and I understand why. He didn't like that I beat him the first time, and he wants every advantage possible. He takes the lower handicap, Peyton Manning, who's a four, gives me the uh, one that's an eight, and he goes to insists that we go to his home course over anyone else. Now, I love that about him. I respect that about him, that he's looking for every little edge. But from my point of view, I'm the defending champion of the match, and I have the belt to prove it. I'm going to go down to his home course, and I have nothing to lose now because uh, even though I'm defending, I'm going to his place. Everybody expects him to come back and win. He has a better, supposedly a better partner for golf game-wise. But I think Tom and I are going to go down there with nothing to lose, free will it, play well, and have the ability to give him a bad memory at his home course. (laughs) That's the uh, Callaway Golf Podcast with Phil Mickelson. If I told you a year ago, hey, you know what? We're going to spend our Memorial Day watching Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, and Phil Mickelson play golf. You'd probably say, hmm, why? Because, you know, Tiger and Phil would already be in season, and you would think that uh, Brady and... uh, Peyton would have other things to do, certainly Brady with his new team. Well, we would have thought he was still with New England a year ago if I asked you this question. But here we are, four of the more competitive people you ever see, and each one of them probably remembers every bad swing or bad throw or bad loss that they've uh, encountered. I'm curious the dialogue that will go on here. Because they're all sneaky trash talkers. I think out of the group, Peyton Manning's the best trash talker in there. Mickelson can hold his own. You know, Tiger always can go scoreboard, and so can Brady. If you want to, you just go scoreboard. Because Phil Mickelson will say things to Tiger like, remember when I beat you in the Deutsche Bank? Or remember when I beat you in the AT&T, Pebble Beach? And then Tiger will go, yeah, but in the big picture. And then that's it. Then the conversation is over. But uh, that's coming up this weekend between those two. Here's Peyton Manning talking about roasting Tom Brady. 
Ernie, the course, you know, the tournament had to be in Florida. You know, after Tom's B&E arrest, uh, you know, with the ankle monitor, he couldn't leave the state. Uh, so it had to be in Florida. Uh, Tiger and I talked to the sheriff in Tampa. He's going to be allowed to go to Palm Beach to play. Uh, I'll be honest, I've never played Tom very well on his home turf. And so maybe this is considered a neutral site. And I would have loved to have had this tournament in a place where they don't like Tom very much, Indianapolis, Denver, Boston, you know, after he just betrayed them and broke their hearts. Wow. That's, uh, he, he mentioned Ernie. Ernie Johnson was uh, promoting the Champions for Charity event on TNT. That's uh, courtesy of TNT. So a little back and forth there, and I hope that we have a little bit more of that. That's why when you had Rory and Dustin – and uh, you had Ricky Fowler. Like, there's, there's no real digging there, rivalry. You, I mean, when we play golf, you play golf with your buddies, you needle them a little bit. And that's what I want here. The last time they played, when they played the match with Phil and Tiger, they clammed up the, the back nine because it got serious. I, I want to have some levity here. I want to have some nice digs there. I think that, that would be fun. And I think Peyton Manning will do it. Since Peyton's not playing football anymore, I, I think he's, you know... Hey, you just turn up the volume. I'm good. I'm unplugged. I can say whatever I want here. And I think Phil will jump in, too. He's not afraid to uh, get a couple of stabs in there as well. 877-3DP-SHOW. Email address dp at danpatrick.com. Twitter handle at show. I've talked about the military quite often on this show. Uh, very proud to be the son of a Marine. And uh, I have a couple members of my family that were in the Navy. Uh, well represented in the military. And, you know, this Memorial Day weekend, you know, it, it always seems like it, it passes by and then we forget why we're really celebrating Memorial Day. And if you get that opportunity and if you see somebody in service or, or has been in service there, acknowledge them the best that you can during this pandemic because it, it's forgotten. And I always go back to the Vietnam vets because I just remember my brother was so close to going to Vietnam and I remember my dad saying, I, the Marine says to my brother, I, I can't let you go fight in a war that you can't win. We can't win. And he knew it. And, and I just remember that somehow my brother's number, because you got numbers back then. And he had a high number and he, and he did not go. But those guys who did come back, I've always had a soft spot in my heart because they came back and it wasn't their fault that they came back. They weren't war heroes. And it was almost like they got the blame. And I always felt bad about that. But if you get this opportunity to say something to somebody who is in the military, was in the military, please do. Because we forget. And even now with what's going on in our country, we're forgetting that we have people deployed all over the world. I just got an email today. This is from uh, the uh, chaplain, Andy Madison. He said, I just want to say uh, thank you for all that you guys do. I'm deployed in the Middle East right now with the Air Force, and you guys keep me laughing and connected to home. You guys help distract us from the situation, especially when we don't have sports to watch. Uh, be safe, Andy, and thank you for that email. All right, we'll come up with a poll question. I believe we have a poll question. Is that right, McLevin? We were talking about the NFL rule changes there. And... Well, we went in a totally different direction. Oh, you did? We've been having this debate uh -oh. uh, 
whose career would you want, Tom or Tiger? And you could ask the same thing in hour two and three for Phil and Peyton. Well, let's start Tiger and Tom. Whose career? I'm going to say Tom from this. He's pretty clean with everything about him. You know, Tiger has things attached to him. Am, am I just getting, like, what am I getting here? If I say Tiger, I, I, am I getting the, the person as well? Like, how, how do we differentiate? If I, it's just his playing career and say, this is who he's going to be when it's all said and done and what he's accomplished there. Um, is that, or am I reading too much into it, McLovin? I think you can interpret it any way you want. Well, if you're going to attach, you know, the life of these these uh, two guys that I'm taking, Tom Brady. If you're going to say accomplishments, like there's no question that Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time. There is a question if Tiger's the greatest golfer. I think he's the most impactful golfer of all time. I don't. He's not the greatest golfer, but he's the most impactful, and at times was the most dominant. And when you consider what he did globally thanks to the likes of Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas, You know, Tom Brady is not global. He's regional. Where Tiger is worldwide. I don't think there's a wrong answer here. The way Tiger did it, you know, Brady didn't do it where you go, oh my God, I've never seen that before. Tiger did it in a way where you went, I uh, haven't seen that before. Uh, I'm sorry, he's in a... He's in a fairway bunker, I don't know, 200 and some yards out over water, and he's going to have a six iron out of the bunker. Yeah, and he'll put it right up near the pin. He just, he, he was doing things that hadn't been done in a long, long time. People forget that they jack-proofed golf courses. We talk about tiger-proofing. Augusta jack-proofed that course. They made it tougher because of Jack Nicklaus. Because Jack was a powerful driver of the ball. You know, so when guys would get upset, you know, modern day, like, oh, I can't believe they're doing this to Tiger. They're tiger-proofing Augusta. I went, uh, back in the 60s, they did this to Jack Nicklaus. But I guess I would go Brady. Brady's not the best football player of all time. And, that you know, there is no wrong answer. It's just... I guess it depends on, you know, the sport that football is still the sport, whereas golf is not. I mean, Tiger was going to make it more fun, sexier. It's okay to play your dad's sport. That's what it was when I was growing up. I didn't play golf. It was my dad's sport. I don't play golf. I play baseball, football, basketball. Now, or at least when Tiger was playing, the number of people who decided that they wanted to play, especially athletes and former athletes, that everybody got into it. Tom is still, he's the GOAT. Tiger's not the GOAT. He might be. Tom's the GOAT. I guess I would I'd go Brady. Yeah, Paul. It's kind of ironic. Tom Brady, football player, almost unscathed. He doesn't have any permanent injuries. He had one year where he had the knee injury and was out that the Pollard hit. Tiger Woods is almost debilitated because of golf. He's, he's back now, but he had a long run where he was debilitated. Remember he talked about he couldn't sit in a chair? And, and, and it's golf. You, wouldn't you think, I know, it'd be the other way around if I said, let's watch these two guys walk or sit down or get up from a chair. And you go, well, one guy played football and the other guy played golf. You probably would have said, oh, Brady, obviously a golfer. Tiger, man, football really took its toll on him. Yeah, McLevin. 
I mean, let's face it. When you're in high school, everybody wants to date the high school quarterback. Nobody wants to date the high school golfer. <laughs> I mean, there's a big, like culturally, the quarterback's the guy. That's really, it was a football golf debate for me. Oh, I think there are a few people that wanted to date the uh, star golfer in this situation. Yes, Todd. Yeah, but how much do you weigh individual greatness versus team greatness? That's a, another factor you got to put. In. It's not just a, you know which sport do you like more. I think that's got to be a little bit part of it. All the wins and losses, whatever happens, is all on you in a sport like tennis or golf, where you have to obviously rely on a bunch of other players to help bring you to that greatness with Brady. And and who's your pick? I would pick Brady. Okay. I was curious about how much you would factor in an individual sport versus team sport in this conversation. Well, when you think about the most important position in all the sports, it's a quarterback. So, and and we we gauge the greatness of a quarterback based off of championships. He certainly has answered that. You know, Tiger has answered that, but Jack has more championships, more majors there. If he gets past Jack Nicklaus, you know, does that change my opinion? No. I think what Brady has done is pretty, I mean, it's incredible that the number of Super Bowl appearances here, and I, I use that as a positive. You know, he lost to the Eagles. He didn't lose to the Eagles. Patriots defense lost to the Eagles. Tom Brady threw for 500 yards. He was spectacular. But they lose the Super Bowl, and thankfully we start to look at these teams' quarterbacks. If you lose the Super Bowl, it's not the end of the world, or we don't hold you in a negative light. Because we used to. And John Elway was a bum because you guys got blown out in the Super Bowl three times. Now, you got to the Super Bowl. Oh, the Buffalo Bills, losers. No, they got to the Super Bowl. The fact that Jack was playing in all... If you look at the number of majors, so what's he have, 18? How many times did he finish second? He could easily have 25 majors. Easily. 30. Easily. Yeah, Paul. Jack Nicholas finished second place in 19 different majors. He also had 56 top five finishes in majors. And so let's say you just take a third of those. If I, if I got six of those, now we got 24 majors? Nobody's catching that. But Tiger was more impactful, I believe. Arnie is the most impactful golfer of all time. Because Arnie made the sport cool. He looked like he was James Bond out there. And what he did with Arnie's army, and, and really, he became a, a global icon in the golf world, probably before anybody else did. And then Jack, but Jack wasn't embraceable because people liked Arnie. They liked a guy who rolled up his sleeves, smoking heaters out there, probably, you know, taking a sip of scotch when it was all said and done, getting on his private plane. And Tiger finished runner-up six times in his career. Yes, Todd. How much differently do we look at Jim Kelly? How amazing it was to go to four straight Super Bowls. If he wins two or even just one of those four, well, how is Jim Kelly's legacy different among the greats of quarterbacks? Imagine if he wins four. Then all of a sudden you go, Jim Kelly's one of the great quarterbacks of all time. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback, but that if he had won two of those, or if this was back in the 60s where you won an AFL title and an NFL title because we didn't have the Super Bowl. The number of coaches and quarterbacks who got titles because they played just the NFL, not the AFL, and vice versa there. So we would look at the Buffalo Bills completely different 
if they were just in the AFL and played in the AFL and they won their title in the AFL. All right, we'll get to phone calls here. They uh, got some rules that are on, you know, proposal. Uh, they're, they're proposed rules that are going to be on the table for the NFL owners next week, including they're, they're going to try their best to get rid of the onside kick. They've done their best to get rid of the regular kick. Uh, now we're talking about a fourth and 15 scenario where you could do that twice in a game where you could opt for that instead of the, uh, the kickoff or the onside kick. The success rate on third or fourth and exactly 15 yards from 2015 on is 15%. Success rate on onside kick, 14%. I don't know if we need to spice up the game, but they're trying to do that, borrow it from the XFL, and also add a little more excitement in there, which I don't know if we need. It feels gimmicky to me. Uh, Jeremy in Texas. Hey, Jeremy, what do you have for me? What's up, guys? It, uh, they're talking about that rule change. If we're trying to get rid of kickoffs and punts, why don't we just go goal line to goal line? You know, use the full 100 yards and just go for it. That's the first thing. Two is the main problem is overtime rules are horrible. You know, I think both teams should get a chance at the ball. You know, first person scores. They, the next person gets the ball back. If they score, go for a two-point conversion. Don't give them the chance to kick an extra point. Go for a two-point conversion to determine the winner. Yeah, but they and, don't want that, though, Jeremy. Thanks for the phone call. They don't want another play like that where you're going to have more collisions. You know, a, a first and goal from the two for a two-point conversion, they're trying to get rid of those kind of plays, adding more plays like that. At least that's what I've been told. CJ in New York. Hey, CJ, what do you have for me today? Morning, Dan. Morning. Happy belated. Thank you. Five nine, a pale one sixty four. So I think I might have something that uh, is must see TV. If 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 the NFL is worried about the collisions mm-hmm. with kickoffs, we don't want to get rid of kickers because they're people too. So we can <laughs> still have the kickoff. Yeah. And let's shine the spotlight on the gunner, who is often lost in this and doesn't get the the respect I think they deserve. One gunner, one kick returner. So you still have the returner. And it's the punter or the kicker kicks the ball, and it's one-on-one, gunner versus kick returner. You're not going to turn the channel. You're going to watch to see if he gets beat or if he makes the tackle. Well... I, you know, I don't know if I need to get there yet. I know that they can't, you can't provide enough safety for the punt return. And that's where the collisions happen on the punt returns. Because chances are, how many times were punts not returned? You know, it feels like it's pretty much a over 60% where you're probably returning a punt to some degree. All right, we'll get to uh, more phone calls on this. I want to make way for Wright Thompson. Wright Thompson uh, has done profiles on Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan. Like, they're spectacular. It's where you feel like you come out of a book or an article that he's written, and you go, I, I know that person better because of Wright Thompson. He's got a book coming out, and it's on Pappy Van Winkle. If you're a, a fan of bourbon, then you know about Pappy Van Winkle. And... Uh, I don't know how much he can talk about this. I just know I got wind that he's writing a book on Pappy Van Winkle. It's really about a relationship between father and son, I think. 
but it's about Pappy Van Winkle, this great bourbon. And uh, Wright Thompson, man, he, it, it'll be, I hope it's for Father's Day because I, anything Wright is writing, they should change the spelling of his name. It's, it's W-R-I-G-H-T. It should be W-R-I-T-E because he is Wright Thompson. And I want to ask him about the Jordan, knowing what he knew about Jordan and knows about Jordan, what did he take away from uh, the last dance? He'll have some thoughts on that. Also, Sam Smith, who wrote the Jordan rules. I hope there's a spike in his book because there's been a whole lot of attention on the Jordan rules and the fact that Michael called Horace Grant the snitch. I wonder what Sam, how he reacted and what would he say to Jordan about calling Horace Grant the snitch for that book? More phone calls, 21 after the hour on this Traeger Meet Friday, back after this in the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. He's Wright Thompson, ESPN senior writer. His most recent story, A History of Flight, traces Michael Jordan's family relationship with rural North Carolina. Also coming out in November, uh, Penguin Press will publish his next book, Pappy Land, a story of family fine bourbon and the inheritance that matters the most. And Wright Thompson joins us now. Whoa, you're on the, on the beach? What are you doing on the beach? I don't know, but I need one of those Traeger grills, man. <laughs> <laughs> we... Uh, uh, we, uh, we have a toddler. And so I thought if we didn't get out of our house after 70 days, uh, it was going to like devolve into like some Lord of the Flies stuff. So we're <laughs> Fort Morgan beach, Alabama. You got your Atlanta Braves Jersey. What year is that Jersey from? Oh, that would be uh, 1982. That was a real team, Dan. That's, we got Caudell Washington, Bob Horner, Chris Chambliss, Rick Mailer, Pasquale Perez, Bruce Benedict behind the plate. Uh, Dale Murphy, the greatest living American. I don't know. <laughs> uh, what is what is the drink you're going to have after this interview is over? Because you look like you're ready for a drink there. This It's sunny. You got your hat on, your shades on. It's uh, 1030 in the morning. At the very moment I hang this up, uh, I'm getting an ice cold Budweiser. I just figured the <laughs> last thing in the world I need is an email from me. <laughs> NPR. Like, really? <laughs> oh, all right. Now, let me dive into this. You, you came out with this article on Michael Jordan, the history of flight. The timing of this, based off the last dance, the documentary, was this planned all along or just coincidental? No, it was planned. I mean, it started, my editor is a guy named Eric Neal, and he and I were watching the doc and sort of like, well, they're relentlessly beating this drum about how he is, you know, to the point it became a meme. Like, God, somebody tell Michael Jordan coronavirus was talking smack about him, you know? And we were like, what is it that we're watching exactly? Where does it come from and what does it mean? And so the story really flowed out of those questions and, you know, trying to understand the cultural moment that we were all living in and, and, the further and further I went back into his history, the more the dots started connecting for me. And it, it's weird. I'm sure you've had these stories uh, in your career, but the more I learned about his family history, just the more I wanted to be a custodian of that story and just try to deliver it honestly and uh, tell people what his roots were like. And I, I felt 
I don't know, I felt a great responsibility to get that right. But what was it that you unearthed that's, that was one of those epiphanies that said, oh, that explains this? Well, then for, for five or six, if you count Michael, generations, they have lived in a pretty narrow wedge of North Carolina. I mean, he's often, people say he's from Wilmington, and that's true, but not really. I mean, his family is from the country outside of Wilmington. And when you see Michael Jordan as country, and when you see Michael Jordan as having these long rural roots in one tight area of land, you start to realize, one, the things that influenced him and shaped him to be the person that we know, and also all of the souls he carried with him every time he stepped on the court, it really reframed him in a way that I'd never thought about before. And it, it, it was as simple as me going and finding his ancestors and seeing where his dad grew up and lived in the cemetery at the country church where his dad's buried and literally just putting those little stars on Google Maps and looking at it and be like, this is all in the same place. And it, I mean, it was no more complicated than that at first. Why did Jordan do this documentary? That's a really good question. I have thought about that endlessly. Uh, now, I, I never asked him uh, because I hadn't talked to him since it came out. But, like, I feel like, you know, the producer came to pitch him on the morning of uh, one of LeBron's championship parades. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, like, I, I might have been born at night, but it wasn't last <laughs> night. <laughs> uh, I, I feel I feel like one of the most interesting things about it to me is that it exists and that, you know, it's important to Michael that after, you know, you saw it was at the end of episode seven when he started crying, yeah. thinking about how he treated people and all that this had cost. I mean, I felt like it's important to him that people remember because he sacrificed a lot for it. And it felt to me that it was, you know, an attempt to remind people, hey, this is what it was like. This is who I was. You know, we, if you heard Tiger Woods talk about how his kids thought he was a YouTube golfer, you know, I'm, you know I'm, Michael Jordan has six-year-old twins, which my, I mean, I have, I have a two-year-old toddler and I'm, I'm just getting crushed. I don't know how he's doing it. Although, I bet, I bet he's got more staff than I've got I'm gonna, still. <laughs> I'm going to get, uh, but, but you know, right. There was part of me that felt sorry for Jordan in that documentary because this, he, we can look at him and say, this made him great. I don't think he can turn that off. I, I just, I don't know. It was a weird feeling I had. And you spent time with him. Did, does that make any sense to you? I, I have long felt like Michael Jordan is actively engaged in what to do with all, what to do with all of the traits that he so carefully nurtured in himself. And I think that he has thought about that since he retired. And I mean, I think that's what the Wizards was. I think that's what the Hall of Fame speech was. I think he is actively engaged in dealing with the idea and the cost of having been Michael Jordan. I also, we're talking to Wright Thompson, ESPN senior writer. He's uh, got a, a book out on bourbon. Well, it's not just about bourbon. It's about family. It's about bourbon, Pappy Van Winkle, and the inheritance that uh, matters the most. So uh, he also has his uh, most recent story, The History of Flight, tracing Michael Jordan's family relationship in rural North Carolina. You hung out with Tiger Woods. Like the similarities between Tiger and Michael. 
What what is that well, common thread? Well, I mean, well, a couple things. One, I mean, I've written about Tiger. I've you know, I, I haven't spent a lot of time around Tiger, but the, the thing that's interesting to me is that you know they were both Tiger. Tiger was patterned after Michael, like his public life. And I think the thing that's so interesting that we forget is these aren't widgets just to be replaced. You know, like Michael Jordan is an extreme extrovert and Tiger Woods is an extreme introvert. And so there was a little bit of sort of lack of understanding of the person they were dealing with when they constructed his public persona. And so, I mean, I think the way that, you know, Jordan handled his better than Tiger handled his because it was it fit him in a way that being in public didn't fit Tiger. I mean, Jordan is the, the alpha in the room, you know, and, and it so Air Jordan isn't that different from him. And I feel like the public version of Tiger is very different than Tiger. I also wondered about this with Jordan. Let's say Jordan went four and two in NBA finals. We would be critiquing him by saying, you know what, if he spent more time dedicated and didn't go out, you know, gambling and, and smoking cigars and playing golf, the fact that he went six and oh, you know, that just adds to the mythology of Michael Jordan. Well, it's like, what did Abraham Lincoln say about general Grant when somebody was saying like, you know, he he's drinking too much. And Lincoln was like, well, you, I want to send all my generals a case or whatever. <laughs> he's you know, maybe, maybe they, you know, maybe Jordan had the right idea. Uh, speaking of drinking, can you talk about this book that you've written on uh, Pappy Van Winkle? Uh, I mean, it, we're still finishing it. So not a lot, except that uh, it is, you know, it's a story about the history of Pappy Van Winkle bourbon wrapped in with, I guess my own story, it's a story about a man who makes whiskey and about a man who drinks it. And, you know, I had all these grand literary ambitions because it's sort of, it's really genre bending and, and I'm really proud of that part of it. And then somebody uh, read it and was like, oh, it's eat, pray, love for men. So it's sort of like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, yeah, I guess it's that too. Uh, I did want to like, uh, let your, you know, do something cool for your huge and uh, sprawling audience of listeners so it's a, it's available for pre-sale now it's called happy land anybody that goes out and can tweet out a uh like a screenshot that says you bought it you pre-ordered it and hashtag it happy land so i can find it and then write a sentence or two about who you want to drink a bottle of this with and why because ultimately what the book is about is the community of bourbon and this thing comes out November 10th, and so just keep these things coming, and I'm going to look at all of them. And whichever one moves me the most personally, uh, I'm going to send somebody a free bottle of Pappy. So, like, you know, uh, pre-order the book, write about who you'd want to share a bottle with and why, tweet it, hashtag Pappyland, and I'm going to send somebody a bottle because that's what this stuff is really about. It's not about hoarding. It's about sharing, and it's about sharing it with someone who matters a lot to you and the rarity and the price tag on the bourbon is a way in which you tell that person you're drinking with that you care about them and you love them. And to me, that's what it's really about. And this audience responded the last book you had out when you came into the studio, right? Dude, I walked in there like 37,000 on Amazon and I walked out of there at number 11 or something. Yeah. Like, like, believe me, like when Wallace goes to college, I'm going to be like, 
Now thank Uncle Dan. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I told people, if you want the perfect gift, this is a beautiful gift that you can give to anybody. The stories that you had. And I said to you, look, our audience is going to gobble this up. And I think you were like, yeah, right. I, and, and this is where I'm going to co-sign on this again. If you want to get your father or grandfather a, a gift this Christmas, Pappy Land will be that book. And it, it's, it's not about bourbon, but it is. It's not about relationships, but it is. Like it's, it's one of those where you're reading it and you think you're, you're talking, you're knee deep in bourbon. And then next thing you know, you're talking about visiting your father's gravesite. Like it's, but it's all intertwined, and I, I think it'll be beautifully written because it's by you. But the audience, uh, this November, look for Pappy Land, but order it now, and then do the hashtag Pappy Land, and then let uh, let Wright see why who you would share that Pappy with, and then he's going to pick out one and send somebody a bottle. I'm looking at the prices here. Pappy's not expensive, right? The secondary market on Pappy is really expensive. So, like, like these are crazy numbers. Uh, a ten-year bottle is fifty-one dollars on the uh, secondary market, six eighty-five. Here's a a thirteen-year rise, eighty-six dollars. It's two grand on the secondary market. Oh, but wait, there's more. The Pappy twenty-five-year-old is thirteen fifty for the bottle. It's $20,000 on the secondary market there. Ouch. 20 grand. grand, I could buy one of these center console fishing boats that just drove by. (laughs) I mean, like, you know, I mean, and and by the way, you know, talking about drinking a bottle with people I care about, when the book comes out uh, on opening day, uh, I'm going to come back. I'm going to fly up there. We're going to do this in person like it's supposed to be done. Uh, we're going to go deep on the whole thing. and uh, Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean deep on the whole thing? Yeah, we're going to sit there. Yeah, deep on the bottle of whiskey. Oh, the bottle. Okay. On your show. Okay, so you're going to bring in a pappy, and we'll drink it on the show while I do the interview. Yeah. Yes. What year are we drinking? I mean, I don't want to sound. <laughs> no. Oh, whoa. <laughs> no, 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 no I, I'm just saying. I just wanted to know, like, 15. what? 15. 15. 15. All right. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. I had the 12 the other night. I sent you a picture then. I did. I liked that. The 12 is great. Uh, I'm going to bring a bottle of Pappy 15. Nice. And, uh, nice. And we're going we're gonna to get into it. We might even give Todd some. I don't know. Fritzy? Maybe. Oh, that, that's not a pretty picture. Hey, enjoy the beach. Uh, once again, the book is Pappy Land. Also, the article on uh, ESPN, uh, History of Flight, about Michael Jordan's family with uh, the relationship with rural North Carolina. And look for Pappy Land. Pre-order it. Hashtag uh, Pappy Land. And uh, Wright will uh, read what you say as far as who you would want to share that uh, bottle of bourbon with. Great to, great to talk to you, buddy. Hope you're, uh, hope you're healthy. Thank you. Thanks, guys. That's uh, Wright Thompson. If he writes it, I read it. That's how good I think he is. We'll take a break here. Phone calls coming up. And speaking of writers, Sam Smith, who wrote The Jordan Rules, joins us top of the hour here on The Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to The Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. 
Uh, sad to report, Jerry Sloan, former Utah Jazz head coach, has passed away. Passed away this morning due to complications from Parkinson's and dementia. He was 78 years of age. I'm so old, I saw Jerry Sloan play in the NBA with the Chicago Bulls. And then, of course, to be around him. I didn't get to know him during the NBA Finals. But he was there there a long time. And, uh, you know, it's synonymous when you say Stockton and Malone that you should say Jerry Sloan as well because he pretty much epitomized that organization. But uh, Hall of Fame basketball coach uh, Jerry Sloan passing away at the age of 78. We have our Discover Moment of the Week, and we take you back to the first hour of the show when Chris Weber told a great story about Michael Jordan. I really feel I'm a really good teammate because I, I was always about my teammates. That was my goal, like to get you the ball to make sure because they do so much for you. And this is the one day I wasn't a good friend or a teammate. We get we pull into the Bulls arena right up under there where you're parking. You can see little restaurants and everything and getting off with my suit and my bag, you know, in and, and, and game mode. And Jawan is in front of me walking off the bus. I'm talking junk to him, whispering in his ear. And we get off the bus and directly across <laughs> – like a cartoon, like a, like a movie, like Shaft. Yeah, he was like Shaft. Like Jordan was sitting back on the Ferrari, smoking a cigar before the game. And this and this series, I think they we played them three games and they only beat us by seven points total. So we thought, you know, we thought we were high stuff. And um, he, we get off and uh, he goes, "Hey Webb, who's checking me?" And I looked at Jawan. And we both looked back at Calvert Cheney and did like this. <laughs> that was so whack of us, man. That was so wrong of us, man. And I think he gave us 53, 55 or something, <laughs> something like that. It was so crazy. I remember telling Juwan when uh, Jordan was on the free throw line, I was like, he sold his soul. He sold his soul to the devil to be good in basketball. And he looked at me like, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. That's great. And maybe there is some truth there. Did he sell his soul? To, to be this this great, to be this person. Get your free credit scorecard today, even if you're not a Discover customer. Include your FICO credit score. Checking your scorecard won't hurt your credit. Learn more at discover.com slash credit scorecard limitation supply. Dale in Indiana joins us. Hi, Dale. What do you have for me today? 59180. Yeah. I watched the last dance documentary. We've talked a lot about and kind of criticized some of the things Jordan does. But the one thing we haven't criticized, and I think Seton will have my back on this, is his taste in music. Kenny Lattimore, I mean, <laughs> I don't I don't know if he's in my top five artists named Kenny. <laughs> There's Kenny G and Kenny Loggins, Kenny Rogers. Kenny, I think there's a Allman brother named Kenny too, so I'd put him in there. <laughs> All right. Well thank you, Dale. I, I I didn't really think of that with Michael's music taste. Yeah, Seaton. <laughs> I'm not gonna back him on that just because uh, you know, R and B soul gospel music isn't necessarily uh my wheelhouse. Um, so I'm not nearly educated enough, but it is another one of those fascinating things that's revealed by Michael Jordan that even in that moment, he's Michael Jordan. Okay, he's the absolute king of the sports world. And he's still like, yeah, I got this album not even out yet. You know, and he still feels like I'm special. He's a friend of mine. He gave it to me. Album's not even out yet. Yeah. Marvin in Iowa. Hi, Marvin. What do you have for me? Hey, DP, 510 220. The governor of Iowa and the governing boards of the Iowa High School Association 
just granted within the last couple of days for summer high school baseball to start in Iowa. Practice June 1st and games June 15th. Um, with times being how they are, do you think people would uh, tune in and watch that if somebody chose to broadcast it? Yeah, probably so in Iowa. But thanks for the phone call. Look, we're watching Korean baseball. I, I'd watch it. Yeah, I'm fine with it. Uh, Weber was right. Uh, Jordan scored 55 points in game two at Chicago. And the average margin of victory was six points per game. Yeah, these guys, they all have those memories where you go, yep, that's not leaving my memory bank anytime soon. Uh, Denny in Ohio. Hi, Denny. What do you have for me today? Uh, good morning, Dan. Uh, from a uh, old listener of WVUD, 6-2, eh, about 210 now. All right. uh, the wife wanted me to call you, and I need to call you. I need your help. Uh-oh. We, we were out of things to watch, and you haven't uh, – we – Caught on to Bosch, went through it, went through Ozark, and now we're just, I mean, we're on HGTV 24-7. I need help. Well, Denny, I, I hate to break it to you, but you might have to break down and talk to your wife and, like, have, like, a grown-up discussion or something. Get to know her. Well, I try to do that, but I, I need your help because <laughs> she, she loved Bosch and she loved uh, Ozark. So, What I'm, about I'm not... uh, Better Call Saul? Better call Saul. Yeah, that'll work. Yeah, we'll you got, call you next week. <laughs> yeah, you got you got four seasons of Better Call Saul, and uh, call me next week, Denny. If you're still married, everything's good. Uh, you know, call me. If not, then don't call me. Okay. Thank you very much. All right, Denny. There you go. Yes, Eden. I hate to break it to Denny too, uh, but most of the shows we're going to recommend are some type of home renovation show, anyway. So <laughs> yeah, if it's not gonna on, be HDTV. on HDTV, yeah. it's going to be on one of the other channels. Yeah, All, building off the grid. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> main, main cabin masters, you know, Chip and yeah. Joanna. I, I've, I've watched, although they're on their own network, like Magnolia or something like that. Yes, Paul. If real men are building something in a remote state, we're watching. Yeah. All righty, coming up, we'll talk to Sam Smith. He wrote the Jordan rules. I want to know how he reacted when he heard Jordan talk about Horace Grant being the snitch, the source for Sam Smith's book, The Jordan Rules. Two hours in the books, one more to go. Seen Paulie Fritzie McLovin, yours truly here on the Dan Patrick Show. 